Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome to the Ringer Prestige TV show. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm here with Van Latham. We are here to talk about Ted Lasso season two, which Ted Lasso just racked up mad awards on Sunday. It won two or three acting awards plus best comedy series. Uh, Van and I are here to talk about the second season, which has been sort of hotly debated, I think, among critical circles and online, and uh, is about three quarters into its run with uh, a couple more episodes left to go. So Van, what's going on, man? I am chilling. And I am feeling good, mostly. Mostly I'm feeling good because I get to talk about Ted Lasso, a show that makes me feel wonderful. That's actually exactly what I wanted to ask you, Van, first. So mm-hmm. first of all, I wanted to say, I know you have Midnight Boys, pew pew. Pew pew. Do we do Greyhound Gang, Wolf Wolf? Oh, I love it. Okay, that's us. Greyhound Gang, that's us. Oh, I love it so much. It's so dope. Tell me which, which one of the following describes you. Mm. I, Van Lathan, go to Ted Lasso to laugh. I, Van Lathan, go to Ted Lasso to get in my feelings. I, Van Lathan, go to Ted Lasso to do both. Uh, I, Van Lathan, I'm going to amend it a little bit. I, Van Lathan, was sent to Ted Lasso to do both. Okay. I was having a downtime. Ted Lasso was one of those shows that, like, I looked at it, and for some reason, when I saw it on Apple, I was like, that's not going to be for me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't try it. And then the word of mouth got so big that I said even more that I don't want to watch it. Yeah, that's like everybody's talking about it. And then it was actually Kalika. Huh. It was actually Kalika that went, hey, Van, you're stomping around the house a little bit. You should watch Ted Lasso. And I was like, I should watch Ted Lasso. She's like, just trust me. And so she sent me to the show. She couldn't have been writer. So it's actually both. And it's a visual antidepressant. You know what I mean? I love it. <laughs> So I feel like that's a really interesting place to come from. Calling it a visual antidepressant, I think, is accurate, but it also speaks to the maybe the pressure that's on this show at this mm. point. Because we gotta like talk a little bit about the journey the show has been on. It was a novelty sitcom based on a commercial for Premier League that turned into a cult favorite, that turned into a juggernaut slash guide to life that has now become an award-winning prestige television show with expectations and is fighting off what, like, I think in some corners of the internet and, like, elsewhere, people perceive to be a little bit of a sophomore slump, which we can get into why people might think that. Mm -hmm. But this show has gone through a lot of different life cycles, and that's a lot for any young show to handle. And I think that calling it an antidepressant would suggest that, like, you routinely feel better at the end of all these episodes. But in the second season, I think that Ted Lasso has been going to some darker places, right? 
Mm-hmm. Like going on that journey, do you do that because you're like at the end of the day, I think we will arrive, we'll get out of the rain and get back into the sunshine? Or is it like because you see those stuff that stuff basically actualized and acted out and these issues coming to the fore, that that in and of itself is kind of an antidepressant. So these things don't always make you feel better, but they do make you feel. And I think sometimes when you're trapped in the throes of an anxiety or depression or anything like that, you can't feel. Like it numbs you out to anything other than what you're feeling. I think this season of Ted Lasso has actually resonated more with me because I'm seeing him push something deep down and I'm seeing the limitations of his character. Meanwhile, you still got a lot of happy, fuzzy, sunny shit that's happening around him. But just Jamie's situation with his dad, mm-hmm. Nate's situation with his father, what Ted is going through, it all still works. I still feel better at the end of the shows. And not that the show necessarily has to make you feel better because that's actually sort of a precarious place to put a piece of art. You don't want to go into something going, I better feel good at the end of this because then you might not get the best art that you can. But the show is very good at taking human beings and putting them into a situation to where you know what it is that they want to be and they know what it is that they want to be and seeing if they can get there. And seeing if at the end they can be who it is that they really want to be. And I think that's the thing about the show that draws me to it is that like Ted has a way that he views how people should treat one another. Mm -hmm. And part of his coaching style and part of what it is that he's doing is trying to push people to how he thinks they should be interacting with one another. And everyone is coming around even as he's finding it harder and harder to deal with the shit that's going on in his life. Yeah, you know, it's been a a season where I think there's been some conversation about like, well, this show lacks a central tension because there is no longer a villain. Like, there, mm-hmm. Rebecca and Jamie, who were nominally the quote unquote villains of the first season, although I don't know that anybody ever actually disliked them. I think they were just more like, that's too bad that Rebecca is actively trying to destroy this lovely group of people because she's mm-hmm. mad at her ex husband. By the end of the first season, those two people essentially become good guys. They become heroes of the, of the show as well. So in the second season, it's just like, what are they fighting against? What, what, what is the opposition? And the opposition really is everybody's demons, right? Mm-hmm. Like the demons Absolutely. that everybody has has become the villain. And I would say that like on a week-to-week basis, that can sometimes, like you don't really have a North Star. You're not like, oh, will this be the, w- the week that Ted finds out what Rebecca has always been plotting? Or will Jamie somehow gum up the works with Richmond trying to just stay up in the Premier League or do whatever? And instead, it's like every week you're just like, which one of these people are essentially gonna gonna break down? Mm-hmm. You know, and which yeah. one of these people are gonna have to confront something? Probably through Sharon, or maybe just through like we saw last week, like Beard going out and throughout the city. That's like you know maybe uncomfortable to watch, but put in this really comfortable package, put in this really like sunny sweet utopian vision of like going to work which i think is like a really kind of especially at a time when a lot of people aren't going physically going to work is kind of like a real piece of escapism it's strange to have a very confrontational piece of escapism right now yeah it is there are some things that are bubbling recently is and there's some questions there's just enough stuff to make me wonder if 
they're going to blow up my Richmond family in some mm. way. Does Nate at this point believe that he should be leading the club? You know, the wonderkind. Right. Wonder kid? I think I said wonderkind. <laughs> um, is the budding romance between Rebecca and Sam going to end up fucking things up? Just all of that stuff. And I think that I'm so invested in the characters that I've moved off maybe some of the conventional needs that I have from a show. You really? know? Yeah, I think so. I think that, man, they just made me care. They made me care about everybody. They made me care about what everyone is going through. More than anything, Chris, I'm going to be honest with you. The show has made me want to believe that all of that is possible. Yeah. And so because it's made me believe that, I think personally I'm in on what every character is going through. It's obviously been a, a tough year for me and my family. And like watching... Jamie kind of come to terms with what's going on with his dad. Like, I'm all the way in on that. Watching Nate come to terms with what's going on with, obviously, he's on the outside of situations with his dad. I'm all the way in on that. And then something that Ted just revealed a couple of shows ago or uh, in the second season, you know what I mean? I want to see how they can maintain the rhythms of how the first season came off with all of these demons. And... My favorite completely walled off and shut off therapist. All of that stuff. I'm into that. And so yeah. maybe they bring back Rupert in season three and he becomes the big bad of the show. Maybe there's some sort of power struggle for Richmond because they really got through that little hiccup pretty quickly. Or maybe Richmond makes it back to the Premier League and and whatever, whatever. And that's what we're doing. Because to be honest with you, on the soccer pitch, we continuously get kicked in our nuts. <laughs> Every time you think these guys are going to pull off like a big win, they lose. And that's and, and and that's the most realistic part of the show, right? It's the best, some of the best football in the world. So he's not just going to come over there and make them into star footballers, but he might just make them into better people. And I think that right there, that quest to make everybody feel better, I don't know if there's anything that's a harder thing to do right now in the world than that. So yeah. I want to see if they can do it, right? The show does such a good job of flitting between caricature and character. By which I mean, like, you get an episode that's 65% of which is Sudeikis doing lasso, doing, like, little comebacks, little kind gestures, little funny references. Everything is like, how do you do, Doc? You know, like, all that stuff. And it that is, like, the usual bone marrow of sitcoms is the kind of... Everybody playing exactly their part the entire episode, the entire season, the entire series. That's why people can go back to a sitcom in episode five and then miss five weeks and then go back mm -hmm. in episode 11 and that guy is still the same guy. It's still mm -hmm. Kramer. It's still Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory. It's still Ted Lasso. It's still going to be Ted Lasso and I don't have to worry about it. But then on the other hand, you miss, if you did that with Ted Lasso, you would miss all this deep, kind of like diving into this guy's soul and this guy's motivations and this guy's character. And that is hard to pull off sometimes. Like, I think it's hard to change gears like that. Like, you know, if you go from, I'm just like kind of this one dimensional, like dude who's always got a sunny disposition and is always chit-chatting with my friends. And then I'm making this phone call after the Man City game to Dr. Sharon and really letting everything out about who I am. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, that is a, an incredibly difficult thing to do. And I, I found that the way that they have tried to pull that stuff off have been pretty effective, to your point. Like, the Man City episode 
is one where it's like somewhat fantastical. You know what I mean? Like this team going to Wembley and, and playing in this big game. Then it's actually like pretty tragic. They get their asses kicked. The team seems to be, at least in the coaching staff, kind of coming apart a little bit. And Ted is re repeatedly suffering these panic attacks and finally kind of cops to what is at the root of it all. And Sharon is there to help him. But then like right in the next episode where you're like, okay, now we're going to get more into that. Maybe there's going to be some resolution for Ted. We go off on this kind of comic odyssey with Beard throughout London. Mm -hmm. So it's it, it remains pretty unpredictable. And I think that's what is kind of the recipe to its success because for as much as you might like have an issue with some of the things that are going on the second season, you can't say that it's resting on its laurels. If they wanted to rest on their laurels, they could have just done what they did in the first episode of the second season where it's like the Greyhound dies and then Ted says something very profound about losing a pet. You know what I right. mean? And yeah. then you're just like, God damn, this dude did it again. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Like somehow mm -hmm. I laughed and then I cried and then the episode ended and we just punched the clock and we'll do it again next week. But it's not doing that this week. It's going to some more, more complicated places, I think. It is. And it's just showing you that it's hard to be good. You know, it takes work. It's hard to even fucking want to be good. You know what I mean? There's... So many things that are stimulating you, so many things that are triggering you, so many things coming at you that a lot of this is a lot of work. And my, some of it might be some work that Ted himself may have tried to get around doing, you know? Is Ted's sunny disposition all because he's burying something deep, deep, deep down inside and not really being his full self? And how long can you do that before you explode, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... It's almost a throwback to a point to where we were expecting to be civil to one another. And that's why I dig it. But also, think about it. Think about what we were talking about. There is a fair amount of tragedy in the show. You know, there's a lot of hard things to discuss. Our fair Dr. Sharon almost loses her life on her bike. Yeah. Like the one place that she's happy. Listening to Roots Maneuver. Yeah, you know. So it's like, it's... There's a fair amount of, oh, shit, where is this going to go stuff that happens. And the Beard episode, which was this crazy journey, at times was like really, really heavy, man. Yeah. And you're scared for him and like, how is this going to end up and what the fuck is going to happen? And is he going to go off the deep end and his own demons are coming and back and you're going on this ride. So the show has really managed to actually be human in sort of a superhuman way. Even the way Ted Lasso looks, when the show comes on and I hear the theme song, I'm like, oh, man, let's go. Like, let's go. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, I'm so fucking happy now. Let's yeah. go. You just want to put a crew neck on over, over yeah. a collared shirt? Yeah. And like the feeling, the art is, the tough thing about art is the feeling, right? You can put like a lot of shit up there. I'll give you an example. This is going to be like a stupid example because I really don't even understand this movie. Tenet, I don't understand it. Yeah. I've tried, Chris. I completely understand it. I, I know you do. <laughs> I know I've, you do. I've completely mastered Tenet. I can explain any element of it. In fact, I've, I've, I've put it into a lot of its theories into practice in my own life. Oh my god. We've already done this podcast multiple times. Right. But 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 I I don't I've tried. I reached my limit. Yeah. They go, "Van, what's the limit of your intelligence?" 
I know the answer. Tenet? <laughs> Tenet. I, you know, I thought it was calculus when I was in high school. Conquered that shit. Thought it was trick. Conquered that shit. You know what I mean? Thought it was all. Conquered all of it. It's Tenet. It's actually how many Robert Pattinsons are there? One dude's from the future. They meet in the past, but then they meet in the future. They start Tenet. Tenet is like, I, I don't, you know what I mean? Don't yeah. get it. But the more than anything about Tenet, when I look at it, the reason why I really don't dig the movie, and guys, Nolan is a genius. I'm not going to like everything from every director. I get it. Please don't fucking flame me. I don't have time for this. I've, you already did it to me on Twitter. It, the, reason, the real reason why I didn't dig it overall is because I felt nothing. Beautifully made. Mm -hmm. Looked cool. I probably could get it if I put enough time in. I felt nothing. There was zero connection. And the stakes were as high as they possibly could be. We're talking about the end of the world here. Yeah. So the stakes were as high as they could possibly be, and I didn't feel anything. Here, the stakes could be as low as wanting your niece to stop swearing, and I'm all in. The stakes could be as low as your boss not knowing that you're the one that are making her favorite biscuits for, and I'm all in. They just have gotten me hooked all in in the most trivial and some would say mundane aspects of these characters' lives. And that's when you know that you've really created something that people give a fuck about. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the mundane. I think this show is being built for somewhat of a long haul. Like, I, and when it first came on, it was really successful in the first season. I had a feeling that maybe it was going to be a three-season thing where they, they were up in the Premier League, they go down and get back up, and then they do a Leicester and win the Premier League in the third season, and it's kind of like a perfect little package. I think it's like, it is like the culmination of a career for Sudeikis. So I don't know that they are like going to be quick to step away from Ted Lasso. It's also obviously a show that they know how much it means to so many people. So I would imagine it's going to be with us for a while. And it's interesting to see that this season is 12 episodes. Like, I think that Bill Lawrence and Sudeikis and these guys, like Brendan Hunt and the people who write it, understand like sitcom mechanics and understand how to sustain a show for a while. So it's interesting to wonder whether or not, say, is Rebecca and Sam like kind of one of those diversions that when you look back on season three of The Office or season four of Parks and Rec or something like that, you're like, oh yeah, I remember when they did that. I remember when there was that like subplot. Or is that is this actually like a significant relationship that we're going to be with for the rest of the series? Is Nate's kind of like dalliance with bullying, albeit spurred on by like his inability to like make his father happy, proud of him, mm -hmm. something that's going to really like cause a rip in the team or is it just something that they'll get handled over the next couple of episodes and if it does get handled or if Rebecca and Sam is just a quick thing that like is like a season two experiment does that in any way like impact the way you relate to those things if they become a little bit like kind of TV tropes uh interesting question the Rebecca and Sam thing I think it has to matter now they certainly have, have like really 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 invested in yeah so I'll put it to you like this. So the Rebecca and Sam thing, I, I feel like that has to matter now. They've spent a lot of time building that up, you know? Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of themes and a lot of conversations that can be had around that particular... Uh, like the power dynamics and stuff like that. The power dynamic, yeah. right? The racial dynamic, the celebrity of it all. If she rebounds with a guy from her football club, what does that mean in the British press? Mm -hmm. being that her husband or ex-husband is out there, you know, doing his thing with every Kim Kardashian that 
England has to offer, you know? So I think there are a lot of things, there's a lot of story there. So there's a lot of like meat between the fact that they probably would want to kind of, and like, what is Ted going to think about that? Like, how is that going to change Sam's relationships on the team? Like, will the, will the rest of the team even fucking like that? Yeah. That's a weird place to be and a dynamic that we don't typically see in professional sports. Uh, so, so, so uh, I think there's a lot of story there and I would be surprised if they didn't take that somewhere. Nate's thing, I think, is interesting from the standpoint that if Nate blows up Richmond and goes to coach somewhere else, he's off the show. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Or it'll be kind of like a deal when we had to follow Jamie when Jamie left. I think that will probably be something that gets, you know, kind of played closer to the vest. But to answer your larger question, you know, I don't know. I haven't been into a sitcom that was this traditionally a sitcom in a while. Do you remember the last one? Oh, good question. Um, what was the last 30-minute joint, like, just straight comedy sitcom that I was into that was like this? Man, oh, you know what? Here's the thing. I recently started watching The Office. I had never watched The Office oh, wow. before. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things to where I went, hey, you know what? I'm black. No. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, but I was wrong. Because it's a great show. So I, re I recently went through all of The Office maybe like a year ago during the pandemic. And so I guess that would be it. Yeah. As far as a traditional 30-minute, hey, sit down. Because now every time I watch television, it's got to be an event. It's got to be Johnny Depp comes to TV as Errol Flynn. You know what <laughs> I mean? So, it, so, so now it's different. So I haven't done this for a while. It's been a while since I have. And I'm sure there are other great 30-minute shows out there, but I don't really watch them. Yeah, I've actually... I mean, I've definitely watched more than my fair share of sitcoms. And so it's kind of wild to go through watching something like this and knowing, like, when I watched How I Met Your Mother or whatever, or, like, See, I never watched Modern shows, Family yeah. when it was really big. Like, you know, you, you get into, like, season four, five, six of those shows and, like... A character has had like seven jobs. You know what I mean? Mm, <laughs> like, like, yeah. like they re they reboot a lot of stuff. They like fix mm -hmm. a lot of stuff on the fly. Now those shows used to do twenty two episodes a year or whatever, and like they would have to grind through a lot of plot. But the reason why I'm asking all of this is because there's clearly such a personal investment in the fortunes of these fictional characters that I wonder whether or not it can sometimes infringe upon the creative license that people might want to take with the show in terms of like the people who write it, especially if what they want to do is confront some of the darker stuff that can happen to human beings. Losing a parent, not being able to please a parent, looking for love, not being able to trust anybody in romantic relationships. All those things sometimes have bad bad consequences and that would not necessarily jibe with this is this like idealist, utopian escape where like you create a family that is even more supportive and loving than your real family, which is essentially what Ted Lasso as a show is sort of about, right? It's like the work family, the family that you choose can sometimes be more supportive than the family you're given. Yeah. I mean, and it's so funny when Ted had the panic attack and he left the pitch, that gave me anxiety because I didn't want everyone to come down on him. Yeah. I didn't want Ted to go through that. I didn't want... I didn't want this to be a recurring thing to where everyone was like, what's wrong with Ted Lasso? And he was abandoning the team. And that's when Nate's things started to come. So yeah, on a little bit, uh, like a good show, think of the hell that Don Draper went through. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Think of like all the shit we learned about him. Deep, dark secrets to where you're like, God damn, Don. You know what I mean? Like crazy shit. Or don't get me started on, I talk about this all the time, like Tony Soprano. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, he's a lovable guy like at the beginning of it. By the end, he's fucking Machiavelli. He's fucking like, he's one of the worst people on planet Earth by the end of it, but you're still looking at him through season one eyes, so you want Tony to win, right? He's yeah. fucking crazy by the end of it. He's going nuts. And great shows take you through that. But I think this one is great for other reasons. I think it's great because, like I said before, it sets some margins and it really pushes its characters into these margins and then remakes them. And a lot of this season is about whether or not Ted can exist within the standards that he set, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, would Ted Lasso ever quit on his team in season one? Would he ever walk off the pitch during a match? Right. Isn't that precisely the opposite of what he would do, but it's all too much for him. So now he has to give the old, old college try. He's got to give, give, give a, a quip for that in a different area of his life. So I do think there's going to be a point to where there's going to be like a major tragedy in Ted yeah. Lasso, like a major one. I'm talking about like a Grey's Anatomy level tragedy because they fucking been through it we're talking about mass shooters so you feel we're talking like about sinkholes nate's gonna that. come in and have like a light post sticking out of his chest and they're gonna have to operate like but there's another person on the light post and only one of them can live <laughs> exactly something <laughs> like that like jesus christ who they have to decide this thursday on gray's anatomy i look at Kalika like why the fuck do you look at this <laughs> like what is that disease is that disease real because if that disease is real, then I got to go on. I got to make sure I don't have that shit. Whatever the fuck. They, they always making up some gnarly shit for Grey's Anatomy. It's crazy. But um, So I do think that there's probably going to be some huge tragedy that befalls one of our characters pretty soon. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know why in the Beard episode, it had me tensed up. The Beard episode, which I know a lot of people are up and down on season two, but was was brilliant television. Yeah, it was cool. It was a very cool homage to to Scorsese's After Hours, which is a very amazing New York movie. But yeah, you're right. I mean, a beer episode was pretty fun. It was a fun episode. I was tense throughout the episode because I kept waiting for something really bad to happen to Beard. Right. Because I know that that's eventually going to have to come. To, To your point, I don't think there's ever been a television show that has successfully been able to deal with low stakes television. At some point, the stakes have to get pretty high to make people super, super care. Yeah, maybe it'll be a Grey's Anatomy level thing or maybe it will just be like Roy Kent or Nate gets a job offer somewhere else or Rebecca and Sam don't work out or Keely and Roy don't work out. There's a lot of stuff where they're like, we need to do this because this is what like everybody would want from a show. Like This is what the people just want this guy and this woman to be happy. And then mm-hmm. there's the the whole like competing aspect of like, what do you do to generate plot and to like push this show forward? Um, we'll probably be back a couple of times over the course of the season to discuss the last couple of episodes. Before we go, Van, any like favorite moments from the season that you wanted to highlight or anything like that? Yeah, a couple. One is a little niece having bad breath. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's good. The reason why I like that is because as an uncle... One of the things you have to do to kids is tell them that they stink. Yeah, sometimes you got to be like, you got to take a bath. Yeah. Hey, man, you know I love you, right? 
but it's because I love you that I can't let you leave this house like that. It's because I love you that I'm telling you right now, we're not going to have a good evening. Just go in there. I don't care if you just, but you stink. And we got to do something about it. So I love You make the, it sound like you're talking to a kid before you take it to the club. Like, we're not going to have a good evening. Like, yeah. So, but you don't understand. <laughs> Look, I don't have any kids. Do you have kids, Chris? I don't. People talk about all kinds of scientific advancements that we could have. My scientific advancement, if it was possible, was that your kid is born at nine years old. I love it. Because everything before then is, I'm not going to lie, bro, it's pretty fucking whack. It's like, you can't send them to the store for you. You can't yeah. make them find a remote. You can't really rap with them for a while. Like, they don't really chat it up until, like, what, four? Like, when yeah. they're really, like, doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Every single thing is for their entertainment or they freak out. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of my thing. So anytime I see, and so like, I, and I know this is a, a tangent and people, I'm known for tangents, but in this particular deal, like dealing with my nephews and going, hey man, you stink. <laughs> All right. Like we're trying to go out and I know you don't want to do it. There's a time in your life where for some reason you don't want to take a bath. I get it. But we got to cut through this. You stink. Your breath stinks. Your underarm stinks. Let's do it. And so when I saw that, I'm like, oh, this is how. And they were nice about it. Yeah. Smelling her breath. So like, this is how that happened. So that was cool. Um, but also, I think watching Ted deal with, because when really when you look at Ted Lasso's life, it's not that awesome. He's the coach of a losing soccer team that got relegated. The only reason why people really fuck with him is because he's super nice. He's still trying to figure out his way overseas. He's getting divorced, right? He does not get to see his son. He had to do Christmas on FaceTime. You know what I mean? He's dealing with anxiety, all of these things. So when you look at it, his life isn't the greatest point that it's probably ever been at. There's probably no. been better days for Ted last That night. was one of my favorite things of this season is it's a very subtle detail, but he often is eating alone. Yes. Like they'll start a scene and he is in a restaurant at the bar by himself eating. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's a really good touch because if you were living in England and your only friends were your work friends and they were all having their own life, you would probably find yourself being like, I guess I'll go down to this restaurant and get like a bowl of soup by myself. Yeah, yeah. And so looking at that and him still trying to keep it together and not just keep it together, but be a leader of people and still set that. I think that that's an underrated aspect of season two. I think that watching that happen is an underrated aspect of season two. Are we going to get to a point to where Ted just fucking can't do it in England anymore to where it's, you know, he's just missing too much. Like, you know, so there's a lot of story there for me. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes. I've I've personally really enjoyed how they take basically like very TV-ish moments, like bringing Jamie back, bringing Roy into the coaching staff, which are like very like, let's mm -hmm. just engineer a way to get your favorite characters back in a room together after we've sent them their separate ways in the previous season. And when they bring them back, you know, most shows would just be like, and now it's perfect. Like maybe there's mm. like one second where Jamie's return was a problem, but now he's back and he's the best player on the team. Or maybe Roy comes and there's like a little bit of like, is he going to yell at us all the time? But then basically it's like Roy's one of the coaches now. They have not let that go. They have like made Jamie's presence awkward and sometimes complicated. They have made Roy's starting coaching 
tough on, I think, Nate. It's also been mm-hmm. tough on the players. I think that even there are moments where it's just like, obviously, Roy knows the game better than everybody else there. So it's just like, well, why isn't this guy the coach? Or why? Are, mm-hmm. how are we not just listening to this dude? He coaches the starters. So I think that their ability to do like very TV writing and then actually tease out, well, what would that be like? What would it be like if Rebecca actually did keep DMing with a dude and she found out it was her an employee of hers? Right. Like, but then she was actually in love with him and like had to d- grapple with that. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff to me is like that. That's pretty. I wouldn't necessarily say it's courageous, but it's very interesting subversion of what usually is like pretty traditional TV writing. Um, we can wrap it up there, man. Sure. I mean, you yeah. know, we got we got nine episodes into the second season. We'll be back to talk about about ten, eleven, and twelve. I would imagine. Uh, Van Greyhound Gang. Woof woof. Woof woof. Woof woof.